summoned through the dimension of sound. People explore the musical world, which they believe to be true. But there is a world, unheard by some, that is filled with stories of an unknown reality, a jazz side. Hi, and welcome to Tales from the Jazz Side. I'm your hostess, Veronica Nunn. Now, this podcast of mine is based on a love that I've had forever of the horror genre, and particularly my fascination with psychological fear. Now, on this show, my guest and I will explore these elements of fear, things that frighten us, but the show is not exclusively about what frightens us only. It's also about how we handle that fear and the unique way that we do it as artists and entertainers. Now, I have a tagline for the show, and it's called Have Podcast, Will Travel. What's your story? And besides the stories that you'll hear in this podcast, I'm also recording this live at different locations. And so there'll be times when they'll have ambient noise, it'll seep through, like a police siren or dogs barking or something to that effect. And I'll do my best, you know, that I can in order to edit those out. But that's what happens when you do, when you record things live uh, and you go on location. Okay. Now, along with this podcast, I've written a monthly blog where I post detailed information about my guests in the show. Now, the blog is the same title, Tales from the Jazz Side, and you can find that by visiting my website, www.veronicanunn.com. Click on a tab at the top of the page or at the bottom of the page that says that. You can also follow me on Twitter. There is a follow button on my homepage on the website. And, or you could do it the old-fashioned way and go log on to Twitter and search for at Tales from Jazz Side. And that's the at sign, T-A-L-E-S-F-R-M-J-A-Z-S-I-D-E. And if you really want to know about all that we're doing, the blogs, the podcast, and upcoming performances, I also have a new newsletter that you can subscribe to. And that you can find that on my homepage as well. Okay. Episode two of Tales from the Jazz Side is with bassist composer Jay Anderson. When you're reading online about Jay Anderson, there are two words that you'll see over and over, and those are versatile and respected. In addition to... Jay being remarkably talented, creative, and sensitive, when you're playing with him, you know, you also get the feeling that you can trust him to be completely in the moment and that he's going to be prepared for whatever comes up. Jay is the kind of musician who does his homework, and the beauty of this is that it's not defined by, you know, whether you're famous or that you can pay more for the gig. It stems from his high sense of responsibility to what he does, to his craft, and also his respect that he has for the people he works with. You know, and trust me, this is an incredible, great quality to have, and it is so rare to find these days. 
this episode has been enlightening for me because through this interview with Jay, I was made aware of other types of fears that I never took into consideration when I was putting together the concept of this show. Throughout Jay's career, the experiences he's accumulated as a musician is the kind of material that make great read. And in sharing his two stories about being on the road, I came to realize, finally, that having talent is great, but it's just as important to be prepared and that you will be tested. And in the long run, how you perceive it and what you do is the mark of a true professional. To read more about this incredible bass player, Jay Anderson, you can visit his website, www jandersonbass.com. He has a Facebook page, so you can go and friend him. I've also, on my blog, Tales from the Jazz Side, I posted a short bio on him, which you can find at my website, www.veronicanunn.com. So, join me now on Tales from the Jazz Side with my guest, Jay Anderson. My guest is bassist, composer Jay Anderson. Hi, Jay. How hey, are Veronica, you? Hey, Veronica. I'm good, thanks. Thank you for being on Tales from the Jazz Side. Pleasure to be here with you. Great, great. Now, you and I met while doing the Michael Franks tour. And over the years, uh, occasionally, you've played with uh, my trio. You know, some rough gigs, but I'm really appreciative that you did that. Um, Not rough at all. No. Didn't no. seem like some of those funky gigs that we no, played. Those and, are some of the most fun gigs. Yeah, you remember that place that was on? Um, I think it was across from Thirty Fourth Street. Oh god! And it we were <laughs> playing the was the, the hockey game was over. And guys <laughs> painted blue were walking in screaming. Yes, that one. Yeah. So that that wasn't that, weird at all. No, what? Okay, okay. Well, anyway, I apologize now in, in hindsight for um, having subjected you to that. You've also um, played on Travis Shook's uh, Trio CD, which was released in 2011. Mm -hmm. So we have you recorded on our Dead Horse record label. Um, that was uh, just to say uh, this trio and, and listening to you and all of the recordings that you've made, it's just been remarkable uh, as a bass player and very professional and that's what they write about in your bio and we'll talk about that too uh, before the show so that that way you're not have to you don't have to sit here and be embarrassed by all of the incredible oh, accolades <laughs> well you know there's something really cool about working with musicians for a long time especially when you're on the road and touring with them you sometimes get a chance to bond I mean other times maybe not so because some people are private but uh, in this case, I thought we bound, you know, bonded very well while we were on the road. Um, when I first met you, one of the things that I was uh, a little nervous about was, you know, what kind of person is, you know, Jay Anderson? So he's going to be, you know, playing with us, and is he really serious? Because you know, some jazz guys can be very serious. And what struck me from the very beginning was this amazing sense of humor that you have and that you always tell these stories. You can't make them up. You know, you tell these stories about things that have happened to you that are just unbelievable. We sit there just wrapped attention like, oh, wow, 
you know, <laughs> this can't possibly have happened. Now, what I want to ask you is, do you think of yourself as a person that has a sense of humor and tells story? I mean, are you aware of that quality that you have? I guess I have kind of a dry sense of humor, and I, I'm pretty good at personal anecdotes, but not so good at joke telling. You know, okay. um, I'll come back from the road and tell my wife these stories, and she's like, "Oh, you should write a book. There's such great stories." And I said, "Marianne, every musician I know <laughs> has these stories. You know, this is just what traveling around and dealing with club owners and weather and planes and the guy sitting next to you <laughs> in the middle seat and just all the guy putting his stuff in the overhead bin." <laughs> These are just things we all deal with that, uh, you know, it, it can either drive you crazy or you can try to find some humor in it. And it, I guess I do a little of both, you know. Yeah, I always feel that it's really necessary um, when dealing with things that, um, you know, that are frightening to you or uh, unknown to you to have a sense of humor about that. Mm -hmm. You know, it helps you kind of get through all that. Now, when you were little in kindergarten, did you, <laughs> would the kids like say, oh, man, Jay, you got some cool <laughs> <laughs> what are you kidding so it's like every just an awkward little you know i have not bad memories of that i barely have any memories of it for one thing <laughs> but you know it's just the same kind of feeling like a little outcast and having my friends and feeling um the same thing like uh, i had a sense of humor i suppose but i wasn't the class clown by any okay. stretch you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. but um yeah i guess i'm just a uh, funny well, guy well not really you know <laughs> i think you are i no, think you're i think it's that's just... nice to hear i don't think of myself that way particularly but well now let's see what's happening with you now what's going on now is there anything that uh, you want to uh musically you mean or well just every <laughs> well, <laughs> well i don't know you um, tell no, me I, I'm, I'm playing a lot of good music um i've been in maria schneider's band for since the beginning from a few years in the middle i was not in the band but uh um it's just you know it's a large ensemble and uh it's just really beautiful music that i uh, feel like i get you know and mm -hmm. she likes to have you know that's one thing i've always felt lucky that i feel like a lot of the people i play with uh want what i can bring to the music mm -hmm. and um not just the guy holding the bass i'm sure there's some of that too <laughs> you know but uh, maria is always very appreciative and uh, I love playing her music, so I still do that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a fellow named Ryan Truesdell, who actually used to be Maria's assistant, mm -hmm. is a kind of a Gil Evans expert, and we did, recently did a record called uh, Centennial, celebrating okay. the what would have been the 100th birthday of Gil Evans. Mm -hmm. And so we did a record of some undiscovered music of his that was just an incredible experience you know i always loved gil evans you know we mm. all what's not to like you know but you know, you're sitting in a room and i'd look around and i'd see two contrabassoons two french horns a tuba three flutes you know and a, a, a tenor violin which i had never even heard of it's uh, kind of yeah. like a cello-y kind of thing that one holds between their legs is and it the size of a cello or? it's it's kind of somewhere between a cello and a viola but it's okay. played vertically that way <laughs> And, um, you know, the, you look at this incredible instrumentation, yet it sounds like Gil Evans, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it was uh, really an unbelievable... And that record just won, like, Jazz Journalist's uh, 
Record of the Year Award, and it's really beautiful music. So I'm doing those. And What's the name of that again? What's the... A Centennial. Centennial. Uh, the Gil Evans Project. Okay. Uh, Ryan Truesdell is his name. Uh, I kind of co-lead a band with my good friend Adam Nussbaum. Yes. Uh, I've probably played more music with him than anybody mm-hmm. uh, in uh, many bands, from Michael Brecker to Eliani Elias to uh, I, Vic Juris, uh, I literally about 20 different groups. But we c- kind of co-lead a band called Ban, B-A-N-N. Oh. Uh, <laughs> well, what's, what's <laughs> and, the initials? Yeah, it's one of those initial <laughs> bands. So it's Seamus Blake, mm-hmm. uh, J. Anderson, Adam Nussbaum, and Oz Noy. So wow. uh, Oz is a fantastic guitarist, and okay. we do some kind of wacky versions of standards and our original tunes, and uh, uh, fairly nicely accepted around the world. We're mm-hmm. trying to get more tours happening. So that's is it is it uh, in the genre like a more uh, traditional jazz? And you said mention standards, but is it does it just kind of cover a, a it covers, wider? You know, the Oz, the guitar player, when he does his own music, it's actually pretty funky, and it's with Will Lee and okay. uh, different drummers, and uh, it's pretty amazing. You know, he uses a lot of pedals and is into sonic kind of stuff, but he's also a, an incredible linear jazz player with his own kind of quirky sound and vocabulary musically, mm-hmm. and uh, it just makes for an interesting combination, but we, we play, you know, we play all the things you are, uh, okay. uh, Isotope, a Joe Henderson tune, but then we play <laughs> Guinevere, you know, oh, okay. uh, which was uh, <laughs> uh, um, the three guys uh, um, played at Woodstock. Oh, um... I'll think of it. <laughs> no, little, right bra- here, like, little brain fart. Yeah, it's but, like right here but anyway, too. it's a it's a great tune, and so you know, stylistics tunes and a, oh, a lot okay, of, yeah. So it's it's yeah. very diversified yeah. in a way. Wow. Now, are you going to write a book? You know, no. Very answer, no. no. <laughs> I have gonna... no delusions that anyone other than my wife would find it interesting. So I, I would I find won't. it interesting oh, too. That's, so. that's two sales. <laughs> Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Oh, yes, that's right. Sorry. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Uh, They're still around, too, doing yeah. their thing. Yeah, yeah they yeah. just performed with the Lincoln Center Orchestra. That's right. Yeah. That's right, out there with the Winton. Yeah. Winton. Yeah. Winton Marsalis. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that group band is uh, a lot of fun, and uh, I play a lot with Frank Kimbrough, great mm-hmm. pianist, um, Vic Juris. We've had a long-standing musical relationship with Adam, a nice yeah. trio, so... Just life of a bass player, a lot of different stuff. All right. So now, do you see? Is there anything else that you're going to be doing in the future? That are you going to? Are you working on writing uh, any new compositions, or you're just kind of focused on yeah, doing this? You know, with I, the band? I really need to do that. I've been. I did that several years ago. I did a couple records of my own, all my own music, and um, since then I've been kind of busy as a sideman, and I've let that slip a little more than I should. I have this lovely studio you just saw <laughs> yeah, you know and I've been yeah. maybe done 40 records there with other people but uh have not done my own thing you know yeah. so it's really time to buckle down and do that so yeah that'll be great we look forward to hearing it you know you tell such great stories so you, you got to tell me a story I, w- I want you to tell one of your your stories how you tell us when we're sitting backstage listening to <laughs> some of the stories that you tell us okay um, well, you mentioned, I know that your theme is sc- scary stuff, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I used to play with Michelle Legrand, okay. the composer. <laughs> How can Michelle Legrand be scary? But, yeah, right. Um, you know, he writes all this beautiful music, um, 
but we were on the road playing with symphony orchestras and uh, there was a blizzard and we got stranded in um, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We were supposed to get to Nashville or something. We couldn't get there. So we had to check into this no-tell motel, <laughs> you know, to stay overnight. And Michelle is actually a pilot, and he was like, we'll get, we'll get a plane and I'll fly us out of here. You wow, know? okay. None of us were thrilled about <laughs> flying with him in a blizzard. In a blizzard you know? But we, so we checked into this motel in the outskirts of Harrisburg, PA. And so, as you know, we've been on the road many times together, and it's a nasty motel. So everybody <laughs> kind of gets to their room, opens the door, and throws their stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And kind of leaves the door open, you know. How's your room? Oh, man, you know. So everybody's doors are open, and everybody turns on their TV. And every TV, whatever channel you turn to, this was in 1987, in okay. January of 1987. Whatever TV you turn, channel you turned the TV onto, there was a press conference, and some guy was giving a press conference, some local politician. Okay. And you could hear it down the halls, and everybody's do- <laughs> doors were open. We had just walked into place. So every, I, everybody hears this thing, and this guy is beginning, he's kind of sweating, mm-hmm. and he's talking about how he's not guilty, and uh, he's getting a bad rap. And I'm kind of unpacking my bag, barely paying attention. And then he stops, and he calls his assistant over and hands them manila envelopes. Okay. And he has a manila envelope. So he continues talking, and one of his assistants opens their manila envelope, and all of a sudden, she, somebody starts screaming, Oh my God, no, don't, don't do it. He opens up his manila envelope and pulls out a r- huge gun. Oh, no. Sticks it in his mouth and blows his brains out. Oh, my God. And you can hear... You know, everybody in the band like, oh my God, you know, people screaming down the hall. And it turns out his name was Bud Dwyer and he was up on some sort of thing. And uh, I don't remember all of the, he was like the uh, treasurer of Pennsylvania or something. But that scared me. (laughs) That was pretty, you know, because it was happening in real time. So there was no editing and um, it was pretty bizarre. Wow, and it was on. You could see it. It was. Oh yeah. You, it was televised. You could actually. You know, he actually pulled out the gun. I think you could go on the internet and probably see some of the images if you know you, one is so inclined. But you know, he held the gun there for a minute, wow. and you're thinking, "Is he gonna? What's he gonna do?" And then before you knew it, he just put it in his mouth. And uh, I mean, what are the chances out? of that? I mean. First of all, you were uh, who, there was Michelle Legrand. I mean, first of all, that's Michelle Legrand. Get you know, like a tour out with him, which is he's the most. Uh, what are you, you doing know, with the rest, with the rest of your, of your life? life? Yes, it's so oh, you know, it's easy and nice and smooth and and of course, there's only things like that that could happen to you. I mean, you <laughs> you have these kind of stories. No, that, but I, you know, like I said, I know. Oh, I have one other quick one. Yeah, no, this is great. No, please, Carmen McRae. Okay, this is great. I told you this one. But we were playing at a place called Lulu White's in Boston. Okay. And um, we're playing, and all of a sudden, it's you know like one of those red velvet seedy clubs. People were smoking cigarettes in those days. It was a pretty you know nasty club. And uh, somebody in the audience yelled, "He's got a gun!" No. So so 
you know, a hundred or however many people stood up and like like cockroaches when you turn a light on. I mean, they just <sighs> jumped, you know, out of yeah, their seats yeah, and yeah. headed toward the door in this complete cacophony. And Carmen, without flinching, with her look, looking like she almost had taken a quaalude, her eyes were completely <laughs> relaxed, and she said, "Blues, one." <laughs> You know, and we played while these people streamed out of the place. And it's like I'm 22 years old going, Carmen, is this, you know, are our lives of any import here? Yeah. But, you know, the people left and it, nothing happened. It was not right. No, but that's a, I mean, more. But just that more, image of her. Is, oh, probably like, in some of the juke joints that she's played over, you know, from, pro, you know, the early 50s, they are always packing guns. Yeah. And, People are shooting, and you stole my man, and all of this different kind of things. And so yeah. it just seems as if she would be uh, used to it. I said I wanted a dry martini. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, that's that's common. Gunfire, yeah, you know? she yeah. was tough. She was a she real, was a broad, you know, really you know? kind of uh, very uh, uh, worldwide. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she just was so aware of how things can go up and down, up and down, and she just kind of yeah. went straight with it. I also understand you were telling me that she used to make you, was was she the one who used to make you guys go on picnics with her? Or, <laughs> was that? Yes, yeah, we she, went on a couple picnics. Right, but it's like, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, okay, maybe I can make the band go on picnics <laughs> with me, but wow, what two great stories. And, uh, and they're about guns, you know, which is yeah, a very... Which, well, I mean, it, there's it's a lot a, of different. That's you know a hot topic, and I have my feelings about that. But yeah, well, it's a good. It's that. definitely uh, something we should look at definitely. because it's so in our society. Yeah, it's just uh, past the tipping point. Yeah, know? and it's scary. It is. It's a very scary thing, and people who wield guns and it's a fear. It's a type of fear that runs with them. And you go um, to other countries, and they think we're crazy. Yeah. Know? Absolutely, absolutely. So we really, um, it's actually appropriate stories because it does fit into um, the well, show. That's the about... kind of stuff that scares me. Yeah. Okay, well that's good. That's what I was trying to get from you, Jay. And remembering <laughs> tunes, that is a, that is a, you know. Yeah. Well, you've played so many tunes. I mean, you I as just a bass like... player, what can happen is you'll, if you're playing standards, you'll play one tune in E flat, for example, mm -hmm. and then somebody will call kind of a similar tune mm -hmm. in E flat. Mm -hmm. And you get about halfway, and you realize you've some everybody has kind of morphed back into the other. <laughs> right, right. No, I've yeah. had that happen too as a singer. Yeah. As like they go to different bridge, they just go to yeah. all start in another on another bridge, and uh -huh. you're just sitting there. And um, and also, I think with just playing the bottom to things is is you know laying in that rhythm and and giving the balance, the the, the solidness to things. It's like drummers. They, I always wonder how do you know where you are. Uh -huh. well, you know, because drummers just, always have the song just running through their yeah. DNA. Yeah, know? and you have, of course, the charts are there. Do you are you aware of lyrics? Do you know lyrics when I'm you're... not really? That's actually somewhere where I'm, I, not very good. Yeah, it's just kind of like <laughs> <laughs> the autumn leaves, something, something, something. You, know. you just know, like when it's time to tag yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah. As a bass player, you know when it's like. The, the, the type of jazz where you're just playing tunes with people, you know. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of tunes, and I usually kind of defer to the piano player or guitar player, yeah. the person playing the chords, to their version of the song and their set of changes. So, uh, But every once in a while, I was in Amsterdam two weeks ago, and 
we were going to do a quartet concert. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was doing a workshop there for a week, and they said, oh, you guys do a concert. Okay, so we show up at the BIM House, which is kind of the venue in, in Amsterdam, and never, we didn't talk at all mm-hmm. about what we were going to do, and I, we were standing there, and I realized, oh, wow, it's just bass, drums, and two saxophones. Oh, okay. And... You know, I can't really lean on a piano <laughs> player or anything. I have to be kind of proactive. So That's I, true. I said to these guys, well, what are we, we going to play? And they said, oh, we'll just call some tunes. And I said, well, I think we better talk about that right now because I, you know, don't want to, one of my main goals is to not suck. Right. You know, so, <laughs> right, right. So we had a conversation. They, mm-hmm. they were all tunes we knew and it was fine. Yeah. But, so, but were you the lead in that though? I mean, were they kind of <clears throat> counting on you to set where? It was kind know? of for equal. Yeah participants you wow know. but uh, you know it was nice and open which I really like playing that way mm-hmm. I mean I love playing with pianists and guitarists also but there's something about a chordless group that yeah. affords a lot of harmonic freedom and a lot of options that I can explore and wow. I enjoy that so, so is there uh, anything uh, you could recommend if people wanted to hear uh, a combination like that that you know, somebody could listen well, to just you know Sonny Rollins records, oh, yeah. Konitz records. That's true. Um, uh, there's quite a few people that like that format. You know, uh, Warren Marsh. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's I don't know. It's a it's more contrapuntal. Yeah, just yeah. A, n- another uh, way of addressing music that's really happening. Yeah. Know? Wow, well, that's uh, that's really really great. Now we can we're gonna move into our uh, okay. other little section of the, of the interview. So now, um, are you ready to walk down into the basement with me? Let's go down into the oh, depths. Okay, that's where I live anyway, here. as a bass player. So <laughs> that's true, man. <laughs> okay, so this is the first question. Okay, tell us about someone you've worked with who was a little frightening to you, but in a good way. Okay, let's see. Um, I guess the the first person that comes to mind is Carmen McRae. Oh. <laughs> Partially because, you know, my age, I was, uh, I had graduated from college, and I went out with Woody Herman's band for a year, mm-hmm. you know, bounced around on a bus. And then I came back to California and got a call literally the next week from Carmen. And I played with her for the next two years. And, you know, I, it was an honor, but like they say, youth is wasted on the young. Yeah. You know, here's a woman who was best friends with Billie Holiday. And, you know, uh, you know my musical appreciation for her, uh, even when I hear her now, God bless, you know, it, it's, I realize, wow, what, how heavy yeah. she oh, truly yeah. was. Absolutely. You know? And um, kind of a scary gal. Yeah. <laughs> for, for, you know, she had a house in the Hollywood Hills, and we'd go up there to rehearse and... Uh, you know, she was always actually really sweet to me. Mm-hmm. So I, it's not based on anything than my own <laughs> hangups, you know, but so she, we had one little run in, but mm-hmm. uh, about the clothes I was wearing at Marty's Steakhouse on the Upper East Side. She, that's, but that's another story. Um, so she was a little scary. Yeah. You know, I observed her uh, horrify others. You okay, know, whether yeah, it yeah. was a, a chauffeur <laughs> or a person behind the front desk or a club owner. Oh, wow. Uh, I wow. remember playing at the, the old Tralfamador mm-hmm. in yeah, yeah. Buffalo. Uh, and it was a downstairs, kind of dark cellar kind of club. <laughs> and she made the guy 
knock a hole in the wall and put, install an air conditioner. No way. Before, no way. You know, no. the guy's like, it's downstairs. How am I going to put an air conditioner in here? She's like, you better find a way. And he did, you know. Oh, my God. And that's so, incredible. Um, yeah, so just, she was a little scary. Yeah. Know? Was that the first singer that you played with? Or, you know, were you um, aware that she was Carmen McRae? When I was aware you, yeah, okay. of her stature. But, again, you know, I wasn't really... You know, I played with Red Rodney for oh, okay. 10 years, and here's a guy that played with Charlie Parker, you know, yeah. and we certainly talked about it, mm-hmm. and I realized how heavy that was, but, you know, now at my age, I have different conversations about Bird with him, you know, just oh, to wow. um, have that connection, so. Mm-hmm. Well, as time passes, too, it, you know, your perception changes, yeah, so course. you kind of, you know, or what you deem invaluable and so you ask questions that are based yeah, on that. And it was you know, my, my kind of the beginning of being on the road. So I, I had a lot of diversions. <laughs> you know. Oh, really? <laughs> well, but, we won't um, stay that far yeah. in the basement. <laughs> yeah, try to get out of the gutter. But, uh, so now, okay, so uh, here's the second question. Mm-hmm. What is the scariest work in any medium, which is either painting, photograph, book, movie, television, whatever, that you've encountered? That's an interesting... Because I guess I'm a kind of a pragmatist, so when okay. it comes to people's personal expression, whether it's art, or I don't, I don't really find stuff scary. Really? I've had scary things happen on the road. <laughs> and I don't know if that's the third scary question, so if I should jump ahead or... Uh, you know, I, I, it's, I don't really get scared, you know. You mean like there's not a movie that you've seen or anything that you look at and you go, oh, that just kind of I remember of sits it, like everybody else when Psycho came out and I remember okay. the shower scene that I definitely jumped out of my seat. Okay, you know? okay. Um, but horror movies, I'm not really into scary stuff. You know, I would never go to a horror movie Okay. Or, you know, I have a little problem with Halloween going oh. around begging for food, you know. <laughs> candy especially. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I guess nothing really... Not not even in a sense of, like, disturbing, you know, if you see an image that's oh, disturbing, well, yeah. um, that kind of, you know, you're saying, wait a minute, this is this is tapping into something. Uh, yeah, like that... a racer head. I remember seeing okay. that, you know. Okay. When, <laughs> when I had, wow, what is this, you know. And then it was on TV maybe uh, within the last year. And I, uh, well, now that I'm older and mm-hmm. more mature, I'll watch it again. I still had no clue. That's some weird you know, stuff. I don't think anybody. Yeah. And I don't think it's necessarily supposed to have a punchline or whatever. It's kind of like some music. You just accept it on, you know. Yeah. Well, the baby. The, the baby in that is really, you know, that the weird baby. Yeah, yeah. It's just. I guess weird baby, Rosemary's baby. That was a little disturbing okay, too at yeah. the time. Yeah, Speaking that was. Speaking of babies, ooh. that's a pretty out there one. You know. I know if I keep digging, digging, yeah. digging, we'd find something here that. Uh, we'll be that's interesting. Here crying. <laughs> Terrified. Yeah. No, that's interesting because uh, when you say you're a pragmatist, you 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 just kind of see things very specifically, and so that you don't think of it in uh, other realms and. Or you just guess, you know, face like, value. I, can't, I can't imagine music being scary in any way. You know, okay. I've, I can I can imagine it evoking a certain emotion, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess fear is an emotion, but uh, not not 
particularly. You know, okay. I, I tend to find the the joy in it or the the adventure or the non-scary kind of aspects of wow. things, you know. That's great. Well, that is great because it leads into this very next question that I'm going to ask you, which is what is the scariest thing that has ever happened to you while performing live? Okay. Well, I have a couple. I might divert from that. Okay, that's fine. The scariest just... thing performing live, just, you know, the bass coming unplugged or, <laughs> or uh, um, uh Certainly odd stuff, mm-hmm. but uh, again, you know, being ill. Oh, yeah, that's um, always one for people. You know, I don't want to get too into it, but eating some <laughs> bad food and wondering how long you can really uh, stand there, you know, I've, we've all had that, you know. Right. Um, so that that's scary, but the music itself is always, um, is that what you mean, the yeah, like, you know, um, you can have, uh, well, for me, it would be not really knowing the song, or I mm. think I know the song, and I've okay, been prepared, yeah. but then I'm actually doing it, li- like, in the, the last episode, I was talking to Michael, and it was just totally forgetting the lyrics oh, entirely, sure. so here it is, or, I mean, maybe while you're playing something, and the yeah, music okay. flies right off <laughs> the well, stand, and, you, you know. know. with Maria Schneider, <laughs> we played at the Newport Jazz Festival two years ago. And, you know, that's out, you know, yeah. in front of the water and a nice stage. And it was windy. And she had these, you know, her charts tend to be quite lengthy. Right, right. So they're, it's a 12-page chart. And it's printed on just regular paper with, you know, right. a couple pieces of tape that are about an inch long keeping each page together. Not even one continuous piece of tape, you know. So the wind came up and it was like one, you know. 25 one-armed wallpaper hangers grabbing their music trying to play with one lip and one hand and it was you know sometimes it almost ground to a halt you know but I guess that's part of the chart she she uses an accordion player like I was a sub and I just remember this guy trying to pump that accordion like while grabbing music and it was it was an unbelievable sight but that's so absurd you can't really it's just funny you know I think that goes back to your sense of humor because you have a sense of humor or the way you see things in this in in, in this humorous way allows for whatever uh challenges or obstacles or anything that comes up that veers from a norm a norm you can just say oh, okay well, <laughs> well I mean what am I going to be out scared of my head you know, but I, look, I just remember looking at Maria's face like the sheer horror <laughs> of watching 25 people doing this, you know, on a live radio broadcast, no less, you know. And uh, I also, I say that to young composers, you know, because, like, there's an epidemic of guys writing. Maria's music has to be long. I mean, it's not every piece is that many sheets of music. There's a couple that are two pages. But um, the kind of music she writes, it's... Not not epic, but I mean it's lengthy, and she yeah. needs it to express it herself. And uh, but uh, there's a lot of young guys that write this music that's ten pages, that's com- you know, and it's all in eleven eight and thirteen eight, <laughs> and this difficult music anyway. That mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have to have all your ducks in a row and mm-hmm. the gods on your side, yeah. the stars aligned <laughs> for success anyway, right. and. Then you go do a gig and there's no music stands or and yeah. it's a windy day outside, yeah. you know, and then it's all up and you just do the Stella by Starlight, boom, you know, it's... Right, 
the old standbys, yeah. the old standbys. Wow. Well, um, I really appreciate you taking your time out today to do this show for us. Um, I will see you probably either up here in this wonderful woodsy area or maybe in the city. Somewhere, well, I know. We play we'll, some we'll, gig, yeah. I we'll would play love another to weird do. gig with some hockey fans. That would be, <laughs> that would really be great. It would really be, but thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Veronica. I appreciate it's it. It's my pleasure. Yes, okay. So that wraps it up for us on Tales from the Jazz Side. The jazz side is always there, waiting for us to enter and waiting to enter us. So, until next time, unplug your ear holes, for you never know what worlds may be waiting for you.